Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, it is uh, not every Sunday that you get to baptize your son, and not every Sunday that you get to take the stage to Rihanna. So I feel like this is one of those Sundays that will forever be cemented in my mind as magical, right? No, we, uh, we're excited to, uh, to be together today. Uh, if it's your first time, I know that you were told you're a VIP, but I, I hope that, uh, that you know that God has you here for a purpose, and we're excited about what he's going to do. We are starting a series today called SOS, as you has, have obviously seen, and uh, that, that series is going to be centered on relationships. Relationships are something uh, that is that is celebrated, something uh, that, that's part of our existence and something that's glamorized in culture. Uh, many of us uh, are taught that we have to be dating as soon as possible growing up, right? That even means middle school and high school and, and college and, and relationships and dating and marriage and all of those things are often a part of the uh, American dream. And so often we, uh, we, we chase those things, but we don't really talk about them. And so the point of this series is to talk about what, what healthy love looks like, what healthy relationships should look like, and kind of uh, give the blueprint out of Scripture. We're going to be focusing on a book called the, the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Maybe you've, you've heard that. It's a small book in the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes we, we skip over it. Sometimes when you're little, you look that uh, book up and read things in it because it would talk about mom and dad things, and you'd like to snicker and read those. Maybe that was just me, but, but that's, uh, that's what this book is. And so this, this uh, next couple of weeks is going to be giving us kind of some of the help, some of the advice, some of the wisdom that we crave uh, for relationships. And even uh, in a couple of weeks from now, uh, we're going to have a time where we're going to do kind of a live Q&A. You're going to be able to text in questions about relationships, about marriage, about sex, about dating, about different things. And so we wanted to give you a, a couple weeks of warning. If we talk about something uh, that you think, you know what, I've got a question about that. All right? my, my friend has a question about that. I want to ask for them. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have a number that you can text and, uh, and ask those questions. And I will be up here in a few weeks just awkwardly answering those on the fly. You can ask how babies are made or whatever you want to ask. And I'm going to have to answer that. So you can... You can play a joke on me if you want. But uh, this morning as we, uh, as we get going, I wanted to tell you uh, a story about my, my friend Bronson. Uh, some, of you, some of you may know me, and uh, if, if Bronson were here, I think he would probably call me uh, uptight or, or maybe something like that. The reason I say that is because uh, Bronson is my friend who is kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this, he's, he's a hippie, right? So uh, there were, there were uh, moments in life that uh, I would tell him my to-do list for the day, and I remember one time he said, I've never had a to-do list in my life. And I just thought, like, what a terrible life you've led, you know. And uh, there, was a, there was a summer. Uh, he was getting ready to move out of state, and his lease was ending. And uh, he told me, oh, it's cool. I'm just going to live in my car. And I was like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. You can, you can live at our house. And he's like, okay, I'll live at your house, but I'm not going to eat your food. I'm going to fish for my food every day. I'm going to go to the river I'm going to fish for my food. And I was like, no, we have cereal and like normal things you can eat. And he's like, no, I'm going to fish for my food. And so we had this agreement that he wouldn't sleep in a bed. He didn't want the guest room. He wanted to sleep on a couch. He wanted to spend most of his time in his car and he wanted to fish for his food. And so that was, that was who he is, but that's just kind of who he is as a person. He's more relaxed. I call him a hippie. He calls me uptight. We're friends and we love each other, but that's, that's who he is. And so you've got an idea about my friend Bronson. And uh, one day we used to work together and he was late. And he, uh, he showed up, and he's like, oh, my, my car wouldn't start. He had an old Ford Explorer. He's like, had to go get a new battery. And so I went and got it, 
And I, I put it in the car, and uh, I said, you didn't, you didn't take it to the shop? Like, I was like, if you go to a, a store, they'll put it in, and they'll dispose of the battery. And he's like, oh, no, I've got the old one in the car. And uh, so he, he went home that day, and the next time I saw him, he's like, you're not going to believe this. That battery tipped over in my car when I was driving. And I was like, that's not good, because as many of you know, uh, batteries contain acid, right? And acid is generally not a good thing, right? It's something that scares us. If I said, hey, do you want your child to drink acid? You would say, no, no, I don't want my child to drink acid. And so uh, this, this battery tipped over in, in Bronson's truck, and he was driving around, and, and he's like, oh, man, it kind of like messed up the leather, and you, you can see it. There's a little hole now. It's awful. And, and uh, I was like, well, <laughs> that's kind of par for the course. Well, you know, you should have made a to-do list. You know, that's what I wanted to say. But uh, that, was, that was him. And, and so the next time I saw him, he's like, dude, I, uh, I might be imagining this, but I think, the, I think the hole that that acid made in my seat is, is getting bigger. And I, I went out and looked at it, and I was like, oh, it kind of looks the same. And, and then uh, I went like a couple days and didn't see him. And Sunday, he's like, dude, that acid will not stop. It's like eating the whole seat of my car. And I went out and looked, and it started as a small hole in the leather and kind of a, a little divot in the foam. And then the next time, we were like, this isn't good. And that acid had eaten a hole that basically a person could sit in or fall into and was on its way working down clear to the, the, the floorboards of the car. And uh, we, we started to realize that, that acid is one of those things, you know, it's, it's a little thing, it's not a huge deal, but it, it doesn't stop doing what it, what it does, right? And so uh, one of the pastors at our church had a chemistry degree, and he was, he was hearing to say this. He's like, oh yeah, you got to neutralize acid. Come on, dummy. That's what he said to us. And we're like, okay, we didn't know that. And we're like, how would one go about neutralizing acid? And so we went and got some baking soda and put that on the acid. And eventually it stopped eating his seat and eating his car and, and making this giant hole, but not before it had done all of this damage. And so something that, that started out kind of looking like a bad thing, but kind of small, not a huge deal, had gotten really bad and, and really messed up his car and, and really caused a problem. And I tell you that story today because maybe you've never uh, spilled acid in your car. I hope that you don't even really touch acid in the course of a week. But, but there are different times in life that sometimes something little happens and we just, we just let it go. And over time, we see things kind of unravel and kind of fall apart, right? Many of us get really excited about our lawn in the spring, right? And we, we edge everything and we pull out the weeds and we mow the bed. And then by October, we're just kind of like, whatever, I don't care what that thing looks like, right? And, and, and things start to fall apart. Maybe, maybe it's not your lawn. Maybe it's been your car. When you first get a car, you're like, I'm going to wash and wax that car every Saturday and take care of it. And then eventually you just have like cheeseburgers on the floor and you're like, whatever, just gets me from point A to point B. And, and over time, something that we cared about, something that we took care of, something that we said we were going to be focused on changes. It happens with acid. It, it happens, it happens in, our, in our relationships. It happens in a lot of different points in life. But as we, as we watch, things that we once cared deeply about, things that we want, once gave attention to, we, we, don't really, we don't really watch them anymore. We don't, really, we don't really care for them. We don't give them effort and, and energy. And, and so this morning, we want to talk about what does it look like to give continual energy and focus to our relationships? Now, some of you in the room are like, are we just going to talk about marriage? There's going to be moments today and in the next couple of weeks that, that we're talking about relationships and we're talking about marriage. But all of these things are applicable to dating. There's going to be moments that we're talking about what does it just look like to have relationships with coworkers? What does it look like to have relationships with your family members? And what does it look like just to have friendships? 
The things that we're going to talk about in Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, apply to all relationships. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bible this morning if you've got one. We're going to be in Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, chapter 1. It's on page 512 if you've got one of the Bibles that's in front of you under your seat there somewhere. This is a, a book that was written as a poem to express love between a husband and a wife. Uh, There's a lot of symbolic language in this book, and there's also some language that you'll think, wow, I I didn't know that the Bible said something like that. This This is talking about love. This is talking about intimacy, and it's a conversation between a man and a woman. And so as we get going here today, I want to uh, I wanna, I wanna establish just one point right off the bat, something that, that we can know. This is point number one, because you may not know this, you may not realize this, you may forget this. I want you to hear me say this, that love, marriage, and sex are good and godly, right? There are times that, that as the church, we, we think that we can't even say the word sex. We just have to say like, you know, how babies are made, and not really talk about it, and pretend it doesn't exist. And this book is a, is a look into Scripture that God created those things. God created love. God created attraction. God created man. God created woman. God created sex. And this whole process, this whole thing is good. It's his gift to us, and it is godly. And so let's go ahead and, and jump in and, and read Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. You're going to notice that this is not like a, a normal passage that we would read. It won't feel as much like a story. Like I said, it's a poem. It's going to be romantic. You may be tempted to blush. We might skim around, but uh, I hope you can read along with me. This is Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. This is Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other. Young woman, kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. Young women of Jerusalem saying, How happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. The young woman says, How right they are to adore you. I am dark but beautiful. O women of Jerusalem. O women of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? Young man, if you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. How lovely are your cheeks, your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck, enhanced by a string of jewels. You will make your earrings of gold. We will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. The young woman says, The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh, lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Now I'm going to stop right there. This is basically exactly how you heard your parents talk growing up. And it's very similar probably to how most of the people that are dating and married in the room talk to each other every day. Yes, you're agreeing with that because that's true. Just this week, my wife and I, who's going to 
hate me for saying this. We, we exchanged very, very similar words. It was a very romantic moment. She always compares me to trees, and we talk about fragrance. And it's just, it's a beautiful time in our home, right? No, no, this is, this is maybe not normal. And yet, this is a look into, into this culture, into uh, the courting and the, the flirting and the dreaming process of a couple as they are coming together. They're, they're betrothed to be married, and they're working toward that process. And, and we see Solomon talking to this girl that's going to be his, and they're, they're flirting, and things are heating up, and things are getting great. And I'm not going to read uh, this whole thing to you, but, but if, you're, if you're just warming up to this. This is, this is getting hot and heavy, right? And, and we've all been there. We've seen when people fall in love. We've seen when people are getting married, and we've seen that process, and they just think, like, we really want to be together. We really want to be married. We're tired, of, we're tired of dating. We want to be engaged. We're tired of being engaged. We want to be married. We want to be on to the next phase of life. And, and so this is, this is examples of, uh, of, of kind of flirting in the Bible. And so I want you to know, like we said, God is not embarrassed by this type of conversation. This isn't something that I wrote to say like, see, it's okay to be romantic and be a Christian. This was included in scripture. God wanted us to have this example of his plan. He created love. He created attraction. He created marriage. He created sex. And those things are his gift to us. And we want you to know that love, marriage, and sex are good and godly. And so let's move on to to chapter two. We want to read some verses in there and and draw out of this. And here's what it says. It's talking about how this bride is is overcome with love for her husband. Chapter two, verses three to, to 14. It says, like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is ripe. Ah, here my lover is coming. He is leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a swift gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. My lover said to me, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter is past and the rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up and the season of singing birds has come. And the cooing of turtle doves fill the air. Husbands, try that one later this week. Cooing of turtle doves, all right? Mental note. All right, let's jump back into it, okay? Cooing of turtle doves fills the air. The fig trees are forming young fruit and the fragrant fragrant grapevines are blossoming. Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. And so you're seeing that there's imagery there. They're talking about literal things, but he's, they're, they're, they're building the scene, right? This is like that climactic moment in a movie where the, the music starts to get a little bit louder and they're about to embrace and they're about to kiss. Things are going well between this couple. You just, you just read the part that's, that's the good stuff. And, and watch how quickly there's a, there's a little switch here. That's, that's up through verse 13. Read verse 14. It says this, My dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind an outcrop on the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. Listen to what it says in in verse 15. Without even taking a breath or really starting a new paragraph, as all this is read, she mentions something. Says this, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grapevines are blossoming. And so all of these metaphors have been been built. All of these things have been said. It's saying that love is growing. Love is in the air. The flowers are blossoming. The fruit is here. The fragrance is right. The mood is set. Everything's great. And and I don't mean to say that it's not great, but it it slipped in there, right? That that Solomon says, hey, and, and by the way, let's watch out for those foxes. 
Let's watch out for, 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 for foxes. Now, maybe you live on the edge of suburbia. Maybe you've seen a fox. I remember the only time I saw a fox growing up in my life uh, was when one that had rabies, we believe, wandered onto a baseball game with my brothers, and everyone started scattering because at first they thought it was a fox, and then they thought, that fox is foaming at the mouth, and it's going to bite someone. We should hide in the dugout, right? And so we don't, we don't often see foxes. We don't, we don't really have vineyards, I'm assuming. Some of us have Hondas and like 0.12 acres, right? But, but we, don't, we don't have vineyards anymore. And so the, the imagery, the point that they're getting at is this. They're, they're referring to threats in a relationship. When they say to watch out for foxes, to remove foxes, they're saying watch out for threats in a relationship. Back then, they had vineyards. In this part of the world, in this time of culture, they had vineyards, and there would be times in the spring that things would be blossoming, that these these vines would be growing, you would begin to see greenery, things would be coming out of the winter phase, and you were getting ready for the growing season and a great season. And there would be foxes that loved to sneak into the vineyards, and they they would just nibble on the vine, right? They, they, didn't have to, they didn't have to like unhook the whole thing from the poles and tear it down. They just had to, they just had to nibble on the bottom of the vine, the part that was green. And, and that attack from a fox would become great over time because as, as they would attack the main part of that vine, even something that, that seemed like a little thing over time would become a great thing. And so when they're saying, watch out for foxes, they're not actually saying, hey, sometime in your marriage, a literal fox is gonna show up in your house it's going to try to bite you. You need to get a broom or something. You need to hit that fox. No, they're, they're saying that, that at different times in our relationships, at different times in our marriage, at different times in our friendships, you're going to have a moment where something stands out to you and you think, that's, that's just not, that's not right. The, the way that, that we just had an exchange, I didn't, I didn't like that. The, the, the thing that I'm thinking in my mind or the thing that's in my heart, that's, it's, not, it's not good. You're going to have a moment where you think this is a small thing right now, and yet if I, if I let it go, if I let it fester, if I, if I just act like, hey, there's a fox over there chewing the vine, I'm sure it'll be fine come harvest season. I'm sure the vine will bounce back. I'm sure everything will be great. And this passage is saying, no, watch out for those foxes. Watch out for those little threats. Watch out for things that attack your friendships and attack your relationships and attack your marriage and address them. Take care of them. Do something about them. She's not, they're not saying, oh, our, our relationship is a train wreck and this fox ruined everything and we're going to vomit our life on Facebook for everyone. No, they're just saying, there's moments that I've got to be honest, there are things that are threats and there are things that are attacks and there are things that are not great. And, and, and if the vineyard is in bloom and romance is in the air and we want it to, to stay that way, to continue being that way, we've got to address these foxes. And so we've got to address threats We've got to look at the little things and things that can be overlooked, things that can spoil value, things that can attack us over time. And so as you pay attention to the little things, you'll see that, that those attacks don't fester and don't grow over time. And so what are, what are some common foxes that we should watch out for? What are some things in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriage that we should be aware of that over time can grow, over time can be an attack, and over time can, can tear us down? Here's, here's a simple one, and, and we're going to have to explain this more, but it's something that I think could, could be huge. Expectations. You ever think about the fact that you bring expectations to every relationship in your life? Now, sometimes, often we like to think those, those expectations are healthy, right? I'm going I'm to be honest. We're in the midst of kind of redoing a house, and so sometimes I'll leave for work, and in my mind I'm thinking, all right, 
I need Kristen to paint the whole inside of the house today. I need her to mud and drywall two rooms. And I need her to hang a couple doors, raise a couple girls, work out, smell good, have dinner on the table, and just be really hot when I get home, right? And, and so sometimes we share, our, we share our goals at the end of the day, and she's like, I was in survival mode. Your, one of your daughters bit me. I don't want to tell you which one because you won't love her anymore, but they were, they were pretty crazy today, right? We have, a, we have a joke in our movement group. One year we shared groups for, or we shared goals for the new year, and uh, she said, I don't have any goals. I'm just trying to survive this year. I've got a baby. And so people in our, in our group, they love to say no goals, no regrets to her, right? Because if you don't have goals, you can't have regrets. You're just, you're just living. You're surviving, right? And, and I don't mean to embarrass her today, but some of us in the room are feeling that way, right? You're in a, you're in a place where, where you're in a job that's just owning you. And so you're just trying to get home at the end of the day, or you're in a season of life where you have a, an eight-week-old baby, and so you get to the end of the day, and you're like, I didn't even shower. I don't even know what just happened. Or you're, you're in a season where you have to write like a 41-page paper, single-spaced, and so you just get to the end of the week, and you're like, I wrote eight pages of that 41-page paper. I'm a failure, right? But there are, there are times that life is owning us, and, and yet other people have expectations of us. And so if you have expectations of someone else, those, those may be valid, there, there are days that, that I'll come home and Kristen will say, did this, did this, did this, painted this room, did this. And I'm like, all right now, all right now. And then I talk about cedars of Kadon and things like that, but I don't want to get gross and talk about, okay. So, so, uh, so sometimes you share your expectations and they're valid and they're good. Sometimes if you share your expectations, you may realize that you had unfair expectations of a person. Maybe you thought that, that your friends should be there at all times for you. And they said, I have a job. I have other friends. I got, I got married four years ago. So this, this person I'm married to is pretty important in my life. And, and you just think, well, you used to be my best friend, right? There, there are times that we bring expectations into a relationship and they're not fair. There are times that, that we bring expectations into a dating relationship. And we just think like, so I need you to basically become my mom's new daughter. And so when you marry into this family, you're just, we're going to be over at her house six days a week and, and you're going to love her and you can just forget about your family. And, and, and then maybe your, uh, your, your fiance informed you, no, no, I have a family too. Do you remember? Maybe, maybe it's in your marriage in some way that you have expectations. Oh, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to treat me like this. I need you to baby me like this. And, and don't ask me about this because I don't want to address it and I don't want to grow and I don't want to move past it right? There are times that we have healthy expectations and there are times that we have unhealthy expectations, but we are always bringing expectations to a relationship. And if we don't think of those expectations and think, are those expectations fair and healthy and honest, or are they not? They're going to attack and they're going to ruin our relationships over time. And so what's an example of a, of a little fox that could find its way into the vineyard of your life and your relationship and something that could tear you down over time? It's expectations. You need to in some way share expectations that you have of the relationships in your life, of your coworkers, of your friends, of your husband, of your wife. You need to be fair, you need to be honest, and you need to talk about those things. And as you, as you share those things out loud, sometimes it becomes very obvious, oh, I was crazy for expecting that of that person. As you say them out loud, you might think, that's not reasonable. But maybe as you say them out loud, they'll say, oh, I, I never knew you felt that way. I never knew you expected that. You'll come to some sort of an agreement. You'll some, come to some sort of a, a compromise or you'll understand each other. And if, if expectations are unmet, it always leads to anger. It always leads to letdown. It always leads to resentment. So share your expectations of a relationship. Talk about those things with people. Get them out in the open. 
Let those things work themselves out. Talk about expectations. That's an example of one area that could be a fox in your relationship. Now, this involves expectations, but I just am going to say this today. Some of you that are married in the room, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but something else that, that you need to talk about is, is point number one that, me, we, that we made, right? We, we said that, that love and, and sex and, and all of those things are good and godly and God gifted us those things. Well, that doesn't mean that they magically take care of themselves. Sometimes we need to talk about, hey, I, uh, I, have, I have this expectation. I thought that after we got married, we would actually talk. Or I thought maybe that we would do some of that stuff that Mark was reading about on Sunday. Or, or I thought maybe that would, that would happen. Or I thought we would at least sleep in the same bed. I didn't know we were going to have twin beds like I love Lucy. Or, you know, there, there are just different times that, that you've got to talk about and say, this is what I expected from our marriage. And, and sometimes when those things are not talked about, when those things are not addressed, they evidence themselves in, in other ways. Sometimes because expectations are not talked about, because sex and sexual intimacy and sex drive is not talked about, there there are ways that people go looking for that longing and for that intimacy and, and that results in an affair. And I'm not justifying what that purpose does, but sometimes it's just because people don't communicate. Sometimes people end up falling into to pornography or different things because they've never addressed and talked about and looked at those needs. And so you may be thinking today, yeah, I've got expectations, and that expectation is that I thought my marriage would would have sex somewhere involved in it. You need to talk about that expectation also. You need to to address that. You need to be honest with that. Those things are not shameful. Those things are good. Those things are godly. And they're designed to happen in marriage and to build your intimacy. And so they have to be addressed. They have to be talked about. If they're not talked about, they can lead to other things. And so sometimes you may see those things bringing up in your marriage. I I know many wives who have said, I've seen my husband fall into this and I had to go to him and say, are you looking at pornography? Or I had to go to him and say, how come you're always texting that girl that you work with? There are different times and different ways that this evidences itself. If you see one of those things happening, yeah, you can ignore it, but address that. It's It's a little fox. If there's a person that you think can threaten your marriage, can threaten your relationship, talk about that. Address that. Be open and honest about that. You don't have to attack the person, but address the fox. You can chase a fox out of the vineyard without shooting it and killing it and spinning it around your head and and, and dancing over its grave, right? There are ways that you can say, that's not a threat yet. That's not a big thing, but I don't don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way that thing's grinning at me. It's, It's sneaking in and it's trying to ruin what we have. And so name the expectations that you have for your spouse, for your friends, and name even the things that, that you're thinking and the things that are on your heart, the ways that, that you thought that, that sex would look in your relationship. Here's another one that can, can often mess people up, a fox that can sneak into a relationship, finances. I, uh, I get to, uh, to counsel people and talk to them. Sometimes they're getting married, and, and uh, it's said that there are basically two reasons that people get divorced. People get divorced because of sex, and they get divorced because of money. Well, we already talked about sex, and so now we need to talk about money. If your finances don't have a plan and don't have control, if your finances don't have some sort of roadmap, some sort of budget, some sort of way that you've defined, this is success, and this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to get out of our school debt. This is how we're going to get out of our credit card debt. This is how we're going to pay off our house. If you think that you can just work and work a lot and work hard and throw money at things, it's going to unravel over time. And so one of the foxes that, that we see attack marriages over and over and over again is people's finances. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with your, with your friendship and with your relationship and with your sex life, and yet it affects and drives all of those things. If you're under financial stress, 
it will affect who you are. And if you're under financial stress, it will change your personality. It will change the way that you interact. It will change the way that you treat each other. And it will change you over time. And so talk about what is our plan financially? How are we going to pay off this debt? What do we need to eliminate from our lives? Are we able to be content and live inside the budget and the money that God has given us? Or do we have this drive for more and more and more and more? Are we chasing this other couple that we're friends with? Are we chasing the couples across the street? Are we chasing what other people have that we have to have a boat and we have to have a pool and we have to have a motorcycle and we don't have the money for any of those things? Where should you be financially? What is God asking you to do with the money he's given you? Those are major questions that people often don't think about. Maybe because their parents didn't tell them to think about those things. Maybe because they just don't want to talk about those things or admit that they might be in a spot that they're a little over their head. Talk about your plan for money. Talk about what you're going to do with money. If you don't, that's one of those foxes that will creep into the vineyard of your life, creep into your relationship, nibble at the vine, and over time you'll see things dying and and coming unraveled and things getting bad. Last one that I want to point us to. There are many of these, but I think they're all rooted in a few key things. I think that, that some of us bring baggage to relationships. And I think that sometimes we just need to, to talk about that. Right? There, there, there are people in the room who were married once and got married again. And I'm assuming that you told the second person you married, hey, just so you know, I was, I was married before. Maybe sometimes when we're dating someone, you say, you know what, the last person I dated broke my heart, treated me terrible. And, and there are going to be moments that I don't, I don't trust men. There are going to be moments that, that I may lose my temper against you, and it's because I've been trained because of this previous relationship. It hurts my heart to say this, but there, there are many people in the room who have probably been abused at some point in their life, and that's changed their opinion toward the opposite sex because of something that a, a family friend or a family member did to them when they were younger. I don't mean to say that you bring those things up on a first date, but those things will impact a relationship. Those things will impact a friendship. If you're bringing baggage into a relationship and things that have affected you, there's no shame in that. Those things are are real, but you're going to need to address that at some point. If people find out that you can't talk about certain things and and you're losing your temper, you may need to say, I I need to let you know that this happened and and this is why I, I lose my temper. This is why I can't talk about this. This is why I don't trust men. This is why I struggle with my finances. This is why I crave control because I never again want someone to feel control over me like they did when I was younger in that situation. There might be ways that that you bring baggage or, or previous experiences into your relationship and you just may have to address those things and talk about those things and say, you didn't know about this, but this is one of the foxes in our relationship, something that could, could nibble at the vine and something that could, could kind of show up later and you would say, I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that happened. I didn't know that that was part of the landscape for us. But it may be part of the picture. We have to address the foxes and address the things that are in our lives, address the things that are in our relationships and know that God will use those things. And so point two, we've already said, but even people in love have foxes. The day that you find Mr. Wright or, or Mrs. Wright or the day that you find your best friend or the day that you finally get the dream roommate doesn't mean that everything will be great. No matter how much in love you are, no matter how great the narrative and the plan looks, even people in love have foxes. Even people in love have things that threaten them, things that need addressed and things that want to attack their relationships. And so we need to address those things.
on into uh, chapter 3 of, of Song of Solomon, we see an example of maybe when some of those foxes haven't been addressed. You can read that this week, but in the first couple of verses, uh, the, the, the woman that Solomon is, has been writing this poetry to starts, to starts to just picture this scenario where she doesn't know where her, her soon-to-be husband is anymore, and he's gone, and she can't find him, and, and this fear acts itself out, and she thinks that their whole relationship is falling apart and that, uh, falling apart and that everything is, is, is leaving and going away, and that everything is not going to be the same, and all the things that she's dreamed of are, are gone, and it's, it's just a dream that she's having. It's not reality, but I think there's a, there's a chance you could say it's because she didn't address the foxes. There were probably moments that she had had those fears and, and had those reservations, and she never said, hey, I want you to know that I'm thinking this, or do you ever think this about our relationship, or I need to be honest about this. And so she's overcome with fear that, that her soon-to-be husband has left and that he won't return. And, and so we need to not just address foxes, think about foxes. We need to know that, that even people in love have fears, People in love have foxes and people in love have fears. And that doesn't mean that your marriage is falling apart. It doesn't mean that you have the worst friendship in the world. It just means that you have fears and things that you need to be honest about. And so what do we do about those fears? Well, we've already kind of said this in many ways. We need to talk about those fears. There are, there are offensive ways to talk about fears and there are ways to bring things up that are just necessary. Sometimes you may be bringing it up for yourself. Sometimes you may say, I don't want to project this on you, but I need you to know this is a fear I have. Because I've been cheated on in the past, I don't mean to say that I don't trust you, but unfortunately in my story, in my history, I've had a lot of men hurt my heart, and so I think about this a lot. So I want you to know that, that I'm, going to, I'm going to act paranoid. I'm going to have this fear. If you can reaffirm me in that, if you can talk to me in that, if you can reassure me, that will go a long way for me. You may have to say that to your husband, to your spouse. And so you just have to, at some point, talk about your fears. Share your fears. Here's the greatest thing that you can do with your fears. Scripture tells us that perfect love drives out fear. And there's only one, one person that can show perfect love, that can give us perfect love, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so take your fears, take your apprehensions, take the foxes and the things that may creep into your relationship, take them to him and tell them to him. Take them to Jesus in prayer and say, Lord, I give you this. I want you to remove this. I want to be able to work through this. I want to have the courage to talk about this. Take your fears to the Lord. Let him know that you're worried. Let him know that those are the things that drive your thoughts. And give those things to him. If you don't give those things to him, if you keep those things in front of you, you will make them into an idol. And anything that's between us and our, and our Lord is an idol. And so give those fears to God. Ask him to remove those fears, to remove the power they have over you. Ask him to remove those things from your relationship. And as you address those things and talk about those things, ask him that that fear will be no more. God created love and sex and attraction and marriage in his perfect plan for us. God created the relationships and friendships that we have. Sometimes we see foxes and we see things sneaking into the vineyard and the the relationships in our life and we don't address those things. Even, even godly people in love have foxes, and even godly people in love and in relationships and in friendship have fears, and so address those things. Take those things to Jesus. Call them what they are. Talk about them. Let him know your problems and your fears and the things that worry you, and watch him work in those things. Watch him take care of those things. Watch him remove those things.
God has given us his love to be lived out in our lives. And love must be defended against foxes and, and, and against threats and against the fears and the things that we let creep into our heart. Part of being a movement of people finding their way back to God is that, that we're not perfect, but, but Don said today in hosting that that's a lifelong pursuit. And so as we live relationships, as we live in dating relationships, as we're married, we can't ever say that we'll be perfect, but we can promise ourselves and promise the people we love that we will address foxes and fears as they happen and we'll do our best to maintain the relationships and the things that God has given us. Let's be a church, let's be a group of people who addresses foxes, who addresses fears, who maintains the love and the relationships that God has given us in our lives. You pray with me. God, you show us perfect love through the example of your son, Jesus. Lord, you sent him for us. Lord, we are called to live out that love in our lives, in our friendships, in our marriages, and in every relationship we have. And so, God, we want to be people who honor you. God, sometimes the way that we can honor you is just by maintaining what you've given us. God, help us to maintain our marriages. Help us to maintain our friendships. Help us to maintain every relationship in our lives, Lord. And if something is threatening that, something is changing the course of that, something is attacking that, Help us to address it. Give us the courage to address it. Thank you for an example in Scripture, God, that that teaches us that you've given us intimacy. You've given us sexual intimacy, Lord. You've given us marriage. You've given us life together. and You've given us so many things. Those things are your gift to us. Lord, we want to honor your gifts to us. We want to be excited about your gifts to us, and so we want to celebrate them. God, we pray that you will give us the courage today to address foxes in our lives, to address things that attack our relationships and to make them healthy. Lord, to work on them, to prune them so that we can see great fruit, so that we can see a great harvest and a great return in the vineyards of our lives. It's in your name I pray.